0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production.
1: Hi, and welcome to Lends Me Your Ears, the film podcast that takes a look at new titles either in theaters or on streaming services and platforms, and then compares them to things from days gone by. And uh, my name is Stephen Cook, and I'm an entertainment and multimedia journalist with the Chronicle Herald and the SaltWire Network. My name is Karsten Knox. I'm a film writer. I've got a blog
0: called Flaw on the Iris you can find at HalifaxBloggers.ca.
1: And today we're going to take a look through the Marvel Universe, what uh, it's had to offer us recently and what's coming up for it uh, in the nut too distant future and uh we hope you like the zam pow action that comes up right after this
0: and here we are again in your ears here at the ckdu studios recording on a sunday morning as is our want uh steven i want to say right off the top thank you so much for agreeing to do this subject. And I'm going to be (laughs) totally open and transparent with you, the, our kind listener, uh, Part of the reason we're doing this uh, sort of a roundup of the Marvel movies of recent, uh, well, last year or two, I guess, is because I've been traveling and uh, haven't had a chance to see very much that's been new in cinemas. And, uh, you know, so what what do we fall back on? The stuff that we, we the stuff we all watch, which is the Marvel movies, more or less, I think. And though you did have to see a few things uh, to catch up, which I appreciate.
1: Well, you know, things on my to watch list. Uh, you know that weren't necessarily high priorities, but things I wanted to get around to. Uh, notably, most of the Sony uh, non-major character movies that uh, have come out in the past couple of years, and that was fine. I, I, I enjoyed watching them, and I was glad I finally had a had a reason to to kind of blitz through them. And they actually kind of worked rather well all together in one lump. So um, <laughs> <laughs> lump as were, being the lump, operative lump being op- a very operative operative word. word.
0: Yeah. Now we for for regular listeners of Lens Me Your Ears, you'll know that we have talked about Black Witch um which we uh, we did about a year or so ago when it finally came out and my feeling about Black Widow was it was fine it was entertaining it wasn't the Black Widow movie that I was really hoping for I think they missed uh, the boat by not doing that you know five or ten years ago but it was okay. And then we did an episode on Shang, Shang-Chi, uh, which was also very entertaining, a film I quite enjoyed while not being something that I'm liable to revisit. I think we discussed the careers of veteran uh, supporting cast Michelle Yeoh and Tony Leung during that episode. So that was a real joy to, to go and watch some of their movies. And I think Michelle Yeoh might come up again in our conversation here in a little. I uh, think there's a very good chance of yeah, it. Yeah, of a di- little digression we're planning in our episode today. So what we're going to do is just jump around with some of the others. We might even talk a little bit about the shows on Disney+, Plus because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has expanded the brand to streaming. Some of those shows, I mean, we don't talk much about television technically. Is it even television? But we do. It is part of the world. So, so, and I've watched, I think I'm up to date with all those shows. So, you know, we might, we might
1: get into that a little bit. Yeah, like if we ever do another Danny Boyle show, we might have to talk about Pistol oh, to some yes, degree. Because sure. it's, uh, you know, it's six episodes was very much in the Danny Boyle style and you know he obviously put a lot of craft and care into it uh, despite what uh, some people may say about it so it's, uh, it's certainly worthy of a mention if not an entire show of course the the crossover between the Marvel TV shows and the Marvel films is becoming even more uh intense as we move along as we'll yeah see with our uh, i guess our first major uh, cinematic uh, entry for this show
0: yeah absolutely and i think that's a good thing to mention because dr strange and the multiverse of madness mm. follows directly uh, after the events of wandavision however i have learned that uh the filmmakers of the dr strange movie or dr strange two if you want to call it that had not seen WandaVision and really didn't know very much about what was going on in that story, but for the basic building blocks. And I think that's part of the reason that the film has serious problems. Uh, In WandaVision, let's just bring people up to speed. It sort of functioned as an exploration of grief, as well as a tribute to classic sitcoms, which is why it was so unique and a special special show. We got to know the side, another side of Wanda Maximoff played by Elizabeth Olsen that we hadn't seen before. How she managed all the trauma we saw her absorb in films like Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame and we got to see all the unhealthy ways she tried to manage all of that pain that she was feeling. So, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Wanda is the ostensible villain of the new Doctor Strange movie. Uh, and in some ways, she's actually the central protagonist. She's basically been spending her time dipping into something called the Darkhold. It's a book of evil spells, which exacts a cost from whoever reads it. Her anger and her resentment is driving her to cross universes where she can, so she can be with her children. And as we learned, she kind of created this imaginary world in this sort of suburban uh, milieu where she had two kids, and, uh, but they were, they were not real. And uh, But in various other universes, they are real. So she has discovered the uh, multiverse, which is, of course, the thing that they're very interested with in Marvel these days. And uh, and so she's going to cross dimensions in order to be with her kids. And uh, that's the, the crux of what is going to happen. Unfortunately, it's going to cause an enormous amount of damage and chaos. And uh, that's where Doctor Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, comes in and his associate, uh, Wong, played by Benedict Wong, as well as a character named America Chavez, played by Zotchil Gomez, and she's a dimension-jumping teenager who has a lot of trouble controlling her power. She is the basically the living MacGuffin that uh, Wanda needs in order to be able to cross dimensions, and that's who she's looking for. So, yeah, all of this, to me, having really enjoyed WandaVision and the nuance of it, this movie turned Wanda into sort of a black-and-white, like, Black hat villain <laughs> in a way that was much more simplistic and much less rewarding, I thought, than the TV show, which gave her much more much more insight into her pain. And I think that was the first thing about it that really bothered me. It's like it just it seemed very um, simplistic, yeah, I guess I used that word already, but you know it, it th- that bothered me, I guess, because I felt so invested in her character thanks to this show.
1: Yeah, it it was, I guess, maybe another word might be maybe dogmatic, perhaps. It seemed like having invested so much in WandaVision and its rather intense emotional arc to have that all that uh, buildup and all that kind of baggage, you know, it's like when you have to leave your excess bags at the door to get on a plane sort of thing. Like they just had to kind of boil it down to the essential elements for her character to be the kind of driving force of the plot in uh, Doctor Strange and the, the multiverse of madness. And it was kind of a disappointment. And I suppose that it's to uh, elizabeth olson's credit that she is as good as she is in the film kind of holding it together but it you know at the script level there's a a, a lot of uh, nuance in that character that that does, just goes by the wayside and it's it's, it's 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 it is a real disappointment uh you know you, you i mean you really feel for her and yet the whole point of the film is to you know Cheer on everybody who's trying to dispatch her. Basically, and yeah. It seems like there must have there must have been another solution, and may, maybe that plays into the, the callbacks to uh, Avengers: Endgame and Infinity War, where you know people ask Doctor Strange if if that was you know his the plan that he decided on to fight Thanos was really the only option, and he insists that it is, but maybe it wasn't, uh-huh. and maybe the way they deal with uh, with uh, Wanda in this film is not the was not the best course of action. And then maybe that'll come back to bite them on the butt uh, in a later film, either uh, some form of Avengers installment or perhaps another Doctor Strange entry. I'm sure there will be another one down the road. But I, I feel like maybe that we haven't seen the end of that story. But at the same time, I feel like It it does her a bit of a misservice.
0: Yeah, that's how I felt as well. Now, there are things to really enjoy about the new Doctor Strange movie. Full marks to legendary genre filmmaker Sam Raimi, who was brought in by the head honchos at Marvel to direct this film. Of course, Raimi, best known for the Evil Dead movies, Darkman, and the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. He brings a certain rollicking whirlwind energy, which I really appreciate. Uh, You know, from scene to scene, you're never really sure where the picture is going, or how you're going to get there. And that's pretty exciting. There's a lot of kinetic energy, but it also means that you it never quite settles down to a place where you get emotionally engaged in what's going on. You know, there's a giant one-eyed squid in a magical battle <laughs> with, with, and then there's a weaponized notes animated off sheet music to turning into,
1: oh, and then there's the, the evil ghouls that wrap around and become a yeah, creepy, very, flying cloak. Possibly the most Ramey-esque uh, moment <laughs> in the film. That yeah. Very, very... Evil Dead and Army of Darkness-y kind of uh, moment there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know what? I can appreciate that fans of of Sam Raimi might get a lot more out of the film than I did. I don't have any problem with Mr. Raimi as a filmmaker. I'm just not. To me, what he's doing here sort of makes me feel more like it's kind of a Tim Burton-esque thing where there's ghoulish and gothic stuff but it's it's at a pg level it's not really that scary um
1: it's more about mood and uh, effect
0: you know so so maybe because i'm not hardcore, hardcore Ramy, maybe that's part of my problem with the film
1: yeah i i guess well i i guess i sort of am i've got pretty much everything he's done and i've enjoyed his films multiple times and i feel like he does get to inject a bit more of his style into this film than other directors have been able to do in their particular films, or, or a little more successfully, uh, I, I mean, obviously we're going to probably talk about Chloe Zhao and Eternals later in the show, and, uh, you know, there's there's a real battle going on in that film, and and here I, I feel like, uh, because Raimi does have a comic book sensibility going in, that uh, he's able to kind of inflate it with his amped up sense of style a little bit more readily than the kind of more pastoral, humanistic uh, take that Chloe Zhao has. Um, and we, we will talk about that later. But uh, I, I feel like he was probably a little more successful in making this a Sam Raimi film um, than other directors have had because it just you know the, the Marvel machine is is obviously a well oiled uh, behemoth that uh, is is not easily uh, wrestled in one direction or the other.
0: Yeah, we talked about this when we when we talked about Black Widow because right, we yes. explored the the various. Um, production key production people and what they had done previous to black widow we went back and watched a bunch of movies by crew basically of that show and we realized i realized then is how often the marvel studios use the same people of course it makes sense right if they have experience on a marvel studio show they should be able to bring that same magic to the next one Um, but it does mean i think that there is a sameness that that a director can bring a certain their their let's say particular style, but then they have to match the marvel uh machinery uh and and i you know I actually admire the fact that they are trying to inject um uh, you know the the idiosyncratic style of talented filmmakers—they're not just uh, bringing on filmmakers who will just don't, don't don't have any visual style at all or any storytelling chops. They're bringing in people who really do. But but I just feel like at least since uh, Avengers Endgame, it isn't working as well as it used to, or or something something is a little amiss. And I guess my theory is that the TV series, the streaming stuff on Disney, is actually working better than the feature films. Um, I'm enjoying uh, I'm enjoying those more. Uh, for what they're doing in the serial uh, narrative than I am in a two, two and a half hour movie. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's because they're more like comic
1: books, you know? Well, that that's a big, yeah, it's more like a limited series comic book Uh uh, and you can do, you can take those little narrative uh, uh, diversions for an an episode or an issue (laughs) as you were than you can in a, in a two, two and a half hour feature film. Um, uh you know i feel like sometimes they they held i mean that's obviously why infinity war and endgame had to be two movies because you couldn't <laughs> cram all that story into to two films and even the the second installment was close to 3 hours long so uh, that format you know in terms of the kind of serial storytelling that you get from a comic book um you know there's there's an obvious uh clash there that's not always going to be resolved and yeah. you know but i think uh uh, you know, I kind of wonder like, okay, obviously, you know, Kevin Feige is the guy pulling all the strings in the Marvel cinematic universe, but he seems to be a little more adventurous and have a little more maybe respect for the audience at large than perhaps certain people in charge of DC did. And, uh, and, and even though he's kind of like the all powerful overlord of Marvel, I feel like he's not necessarily so ego driven necessarily that he probably is a little more collaborative and, um, Uh, adventurous in his choices for what happens in the in the marvel universe and i guess for that we should be you know thankful obviously you know at the end of the day it's still a commercial proposition um you know these things are are not designed to lose money but there it seems like there is room for for change and for advancement and and usually when they do uh Try something fresh and new with something like, say, Black Panther, it's usually appreciated. I mean, obviously, not always, as we'll see with some other things. But, but uh, uh, you know, it's, it seems unusual for Hollywood that they do uh, think outside the box a little bit more than uh, – some of the blockbuster mentality-driven uh, production houses.
0: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I guess because they've made all the money, they've had huge amounts of <laughs> yeah. success. It's changed the industry since 2008, since the the studio launched. Um, you know, they can they can take a few risks, and I I appreciate that when it works. And I but I will I will you know get on my little soapbox and say, hey, this is not working when it's not yes. working. Oh, for sure. Um, now, one of the things, as I mentioned in the opening, uh, that the marvel is particularly interested in right now is the idea of a multiverse the idea that uh, there are many versions of people and uh living in some alternate you know dimensions there the loki the series loki was kind of about that it was more about time and and frag and how time fragments when you when you change something but but it's all you're talking about some of the same ideas i think and uh um uh, and and so my concern, I guess, with that is that sometimes maybe that diminishes jeopardy. Like if there are multiple versions of something out there, then then what does it matter? Because, you know, something will be different in another place than it's happening here. But the character gets to be happier there. I, some of that can be done well, as we've seen with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and in Spider-Man No Way Home, which we'll be talking about. Um, but uh, I don't know that it's. I guess my problem with uh, Doctor Strange, and the multiverse of madness is that we we don't get to see enough of the the, the results of some of these these changes. And I'm I, you know, I, I maybe they're still in the in the place where they're trying to introduce
1: some of these ideas because they are fairly complex. Yeah, I, I feel like there, there's we're, we haven't heard the end of the multiverse. And uh, but but, you know, when they go th- when they're like plummeting through different uh, different uh, dimensions or universes, or, I guess dimension isn't the right word. Yeah, I, I used but, it, <laughs> but uh, you know, all of a sudden they're in an animated one. I was like, oh, I want to see more of that. Or, yes, you know, the or, one where they're all made of paint. Yeah, that and the, that too, or, or there's like a like a film noir type of you know. It's like, well, hey, wait, spend. I mean, spend some time there. I mean, I guess that's why the the the, um, the animated Spider-Man film, um, I guess, was it Into the Spider Verse? Yeah, Into the Spider Verse. You know, yeah. actually did give us a bit more time to to think about the, the alternate uh, choices and, and places that they could go and. and um, you know i guess that sort of set the template and maybe wish that doctor strange could do the same thing but yeah. obviously it had a you know a pretty uh straight through line of a storyline it had to follow with the multiverse kind of dressing oh. i suppose um but uh you know hopefully that paves the way for more uh adventures into just unique uh, universes w- within it it's i mean it, it's such an interesting concept because i i remember growing up with the dc comics that were set on earth 1 and earth 2 yes and then uh At some point in the seventies they introduced Earth Prime, which was in fact you know supposed to be our earth and yes. some of the actual writers and artists from d c comics got caught up in in the world of their superheroes, which I thought you know when you 're ten year ten or eleven years old and you 're reading this it 's a little bit mind blowing and and uh uh, I, but obviously Marvel have taken that to the n- nth degree. Yeah. Well, DC oh, thought cri- crisis on infinite earth. Yeah. Of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. DC brought in crisis on infinite earths in 1985, which cause they saw the multiverse becoming too unwieldy cause it was hard to keep track of all the continuity and they just simplified it with a big cosmic event where brought everything to one single dimension, one single earth, which I thought was very cleverly done. Uh, RIP George Perez, who who drew that. An amazing series. Um, And now we have a cinematic comparison that we have to make because – Interestingly, a, a little independent film that covers some of the same ground, everything, everywhere, all at once, written, directed by a, a pair of filmmakers who go by the Daniels, Dan Kwan and Daniel uh, Scheinart, they have come out with something which I think critically anyway was adored and uh, and I think audiences loved it I mean it got into IMAX three or four weeks after it opens which never happens which I think is indicative of how audience took to this film dealing with very much similar kind of themes as uh dr Strange in the multiverse of madness but I think most more people liked it and uh, I—that was the way I felt about it. I felt it was a wildly ambitious, comical science fiction picture about multi-dimensional combat that ends up actually being about generational schism. It was actually about something that we really felt for the characters. Again, starring Michelle Yeoh. Um, and it, it, it's, uh, yeah, she, she's a, uh, a, she has an incredible career. Of course she plays, she plays Evelyn Wang, who's running a laundromat, planning a birthday party for her aged father played by James Hong, who is a legend with 450 IMDB credits, uh, <laughs> including Chinatown and Blade Runner and big trouble in little China. Uh, she's also got major tax problem that she needs to solve with her. The help of an IRS counselor played by Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, and her marriage is kind of in trouble uh her her uh, partner is played by Jonathan K. Hugh Kwan, probably best known for having been short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom it's the first time we've seen him since Goonies i think he just hasn't worked at all he's just been he's been doing stunt work apparently
1: yeah behind the scenes stuff
0: yeah so uh yeah and uh and then her relationship with her daughter played by Stephanie Sweet uh is strained is strained as well to say the least so um yeah, this is a, a really interesting story where we really get a sense of the characters. It, it's kind of a bridge between Turning Red, a movie I loved and we talked about, and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> uh, and it's very much worth seeing. I think, I mean, if, if you haven't been able to see it in cinemas, I don't know if it's still playing. I don't think it is. No. Mm. But um, uh, but uh, yeah, it is uh, it is a remarkable remarkable film. I uh, found it in places a little bit exhausting just because it was so intense, but and breathless. But uh, I did find it. I, I was so impressed by this film, and I think it's going to end up on a lot of people's best of lists and come December.
1: Oh, definitely mine. But it, uh, it, first of all, it's such a joy to see uh, you know Michelle Yeoh in a starring role as the central character, as a character with depth and not just you know the matriarch or you know <laughs> the iron lady or whatever whatever that, that she actually you know uh, gets her best use probably since her hong kong heyday really i mean uh you know maybe even more so than crouching tiger hidden dragon i mean she is the center of this picture and she's brilliant uh you know at at, at, at going from sort of the, the downcast laundromat manager to the you know, the, the hero who's saving the universe and, and, and the film t- takes so many, like just left turns and right angles and, and just jolts you out of your seat practically. And, and, and she's completely up to it. It's, you know, and you know, if you're familiar with her early work, you know, she's completely capable of carrying a movie on her own. And, and, and thankfully the Daniels uh, recognized that and, and gave her, you know, this great late career, uh, part.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm, I was so was so much fun to see as a film nerd, as as I hope most people listening to this would be, uh, you know, seeing the Daniels play pay homage to movies in direct and indirect ways from 2001 a space odyssey to ratatouille of yes. all things to the work of uh, michelle gondry and any number of Wong car wai films i just was was uh, it i think this is a movie that i will certainly when it arrives on streaming services be watching at least one more time just to kind of get a sense of some of the stuff that's going on and because it comes so thick and fast i i think i there were times in the Second act where I was
1: just like, what is going on? I, I got in trouble keeping up. <laughs> well like Ba Robanza, I think this has rewatch uh, uh, quality built into it that you really do need to see it probably two, three or more times to really get the full benefit of the story and certainly it's something that you know if I see a physical copy of it I'll probably snap one up because it's it's something I fully intend to watch again uh, in the very near future. <laughs> Hi, and welcome back to Lens Me Your Ears. And today we are looking at uh, far-flung corners of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, you know, it just seems to grow like the blobby mess of carnage in a movie we're going to be talking about. <laughs> uh, like a symbiote, it infects every corner of of uh, multimedia. Uh, Hollywood, on, yeah. And Hollywood and, yeah. and so on. But, um, the, uh, of course, it's got a bit of a sp- split personality because, of course, the bulk of the Marvel Uh, film and TV uh, universe is uh, now in the camp of Disney. Disney owns the bulk of that trademark but uh, uh of course it's had it had a little run on netflix with daredevil and iron fist and a few other things and uh and then uh, also a chunk of the marvel cinematic universe belongs in the hands of uh, sony pictures slash columbia and and uh, i'm sure at some point uh disney's going to want to consolidate everything under one roof but for now this, this is kind of sort of misbegotten uh outcast portion of the of the marvel universe that's under under the 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 helm of sony of course they have spider-man which is of course the big reason why they have um the rights to certain characters and are able to exploit them in the way they have been and uh, the most uh, recent uh at least in the theaters incarnation of this is morbius the the living vampire played by Jared leto who's now one of those actors who's been in both the dc and marvel comics universe for better or for worse uh-huh. people seem to have a love hate relationship with jared leto uh and uh, i'm certainly one of them and uh of course uh you know prior to this he was in uh, house of gucci yeah. playing the misbegotten uh nephew with the outrageous italian accent and
0: <laughs> you know it's funny i want to just interject here when i was in copenhagen recently and we drop drop names of my travel a little bit of, of travel uh, trivia i went for a stroll down the Stroyed, which is the copenhagen walking street and they have a gucci store there ah. and right out front in l- larger than life size is a big image of jared leto wearing like a, a pink uh, a blazer and a giant like flower or, or scarf or something clearly, you know, at a Gucci event wearing Gucci, uh, though not in his makeup from the movie. Cause he <laughs> looks a lot more handsome than he uh, did okay. in that. So but I just was just like, okay, I guess that, I guess that works. I don't know. It was, it was odd. Let's just say that. Anyway, apologize for, uh, for interrupting you, Stephen. but go ahead. So I, I guess you do what
1: you press his tie clip and he goes, Hey, it's a me. <laughs> Oh God. Gucci. House of Gucci was not good. It's me, A Paolo. <laughs> I don't remember his name there. I'm I'm a Paolo. Look at my designs. Look at my pink corduroy suit. Yeah. So yeah. now he's a Morbius. He's the living of Empire. And uh this is probably racist, so I'll stop it. But um but yeah, he's he's uh he is uh, Morbius, a, a character that I believe Popped up uh, in the seventies. I certainly remember Morbius comics from when I was uh, a kid. And did he have his own comic, or was he just a villain to Spider-Man? Let me think. Well, there was a Dracula comic. Yeah, uh, I f- or maybe it was like a limited run or something like that. Mm. Uh, I, I feel like he must have had his own. He book. might have. He might have. I don't remember. I mean, I remember I mean, the him being jo- around. The but- Joker had his own comic for. A spell there. I actually yeah. had the entire run of those. They were a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they're a lot more fun than the movie, uh, which is now getting a sequel, uh, and uh, more fun than Jared Leto's uh, turn as the Joker in uh, Suicide Squad, probably the worst iteration we've seen of the character to date. Um, but surprisingly, I did not mind him as Morbius uh, in this this film. I was kind of bracing myself for kind of an endurance test with Morbius, uh, but. I'm, and and as I found because I, I did sort of binge the some of the Sony Marvel movies uh, that are not Spider Man, uh, I I found myself uh, enjoying this. First of all, it's under two hours. Uh, it's it's only an hour and forty four minutes, and you know, and of course, a good chunk of that is credits, so you can pare that down even further. And, and I I feel like uh, as we'll see with Venom and Venom Let There Be Carnage, uh, the folks in charge of the Sony film seem to have a a pretty good grasp on what they are they're not uh they're not necessarily reaching for the stars with these movies they they're just trying to deliver kind of like the b movie team as it were uh, of of the marvel universe and just kind of give you straight up comic book action thrills and and character and I, I feel like for the most part, they they succeed at that. They're they're not uh, they're not terribly ambitious necessarily, but they they do try to have a certain amount of style, and they're well cast. They they have a tendency to to fill the parts with notable and enjoyable actors, and uh, and Morbius is no exception.
0: Yeah, I was surprised how much I enjoyed Morbius, basically because uh, the reviews were so terrible, and you know people who don't like Jared Leto had more reason, I guess, to you know pile on the guy for this role. Um, but you're right. You know, it's it's basically B movie stuff. The, the the story, such as it is, is uh, Michael Morbius uh, is a Nobel Prize refusing scientist <laughs> who is working day and night to cure his esoteric blood disease. And it's been filling his life with pain ever since he was a boy. Now, he is a wealthy benefactor, longtime friend, and fellow disease sufferer Milo, played by Matt Smith. And he helps Morbius conduct his most bold and dangerous experiment yet on a ship out in international waters. Something to do with vampire bat DNA. I don't even know. I don't know that I quite understood what that was all about. But it turns out that the experiment works... However, Morbius turns into a vampire, and he trades his illness for superpowers and a hunger for blood. Fortunately, he's already invented something called artificial blood, so that helps to maintain some <laughs> nice of to his. have some of that in the fridge. Yeah, that, that helps, but it's not enough, because it's his, his power is going to overwhelm him. Um, so now, along for the ride is Morbius's research colleague, Martin Bancroft, played by... Adria uh Arjona uh, and uh, and two detectives who are sort of following the wake of destruction, Tyrese Gibson and Al Madrigal, uh who, you know, there are many deaths that follow, but the most of the deaths from Morbius, at least at first, are just he just kills, you know, mercenaries. So I guess that's yes. okay. Um, you know, that's those guys, you know, they they lived life you know of death and destruction anyway. So so we we shouldn't feel too bad about that. Um But uh Yeah, it it is. uh, Oh, and and Jared Harris also has a role. It's always great to see Jared Harris. Um, But... It is really obvious. It's not very good, but it's entertaining. Uh, It's a 90s-style B-movie. You know, the the CGI slattered effects aren't awesome, but they're okay. They're certainly better than anything we saw in Venom, I thought. And while it's predictable, I don't think that there was anything here that made me feel like my time was being wasted. Um, What's interesting about these Sony Marvel movies is that they have the rights to these Spider-Man villains, these villainous characters, and they're trying to make them anti-heroes. And the way these narratives narratives twist themselves into pretzels to turn what are ostensible antagonists into protagonists is pretty obvious no matter how bad these guys are there's always someone worse out there to make them look better by comparison and that's what these stories are basically based around um but i think that what i liked about morbius and what made it more interesting is that there's these serious homoerotic overtones in his relationship <laughs> between him and his friend milo there's a brotherhood and you know uh, between them but it's it's uh it's very very friendly and then there's dr harris's you know or uh, or I should say Jared Harris's Dr. Emile Nicholas who's kind of a father figure but he's more of a close mentor to these younger men. Uh, it, there's there's some stuff going on there that's that's a, the the undertones I, I thought were significant. Not to mention the fact that it it borrows heavily from Batman Begins with all the clouds of bats doing what Morbius wants. Um and you know, none of that bothered me. I thought that was uh I thought the I thought the homages to other films, better films. Uh kind of worked in a kind of, you know, more trashy way. And uh, and I, I liked what the filmmakers were doing in terms of, like, seeding it with other stuff. Uh, the only part of it I really disliked was uh the effort to tie it to the mcu sony multiverse with with a couple of of credit scenes uh that are so half-hearted and lame i thought it soured what good went before but um well good and i put that in in air quotes
1: yeah and i suspect that was a subplot that uh like like i said it's pretty lean at, at at uh an hour and and, and 44 minutes uh, or an hour and, you know, 40 minutes or so. (laughs) Like it's like, I I find they've really pared the narrative down. And and in fact, there, one of the, there's a clip from one of the cut scenes and the credits that's actually in the trailer, sort of hinting that it was probably meant to be a bigger part of the storyline involving a character from the Spider-Man movies. And, and even though it's in the trailer i'm not gonna or, you know there might be someone out there who just hasn't bothered to watch morbius yet and doesn't need to know who it is uh, if they're going to watch it in the credit cookie and uh but but at the same time there's a couple things in the trailer that didn't make it into the film and uh it makes me wonder how much post-production sort of jiggery pokery went on <laughs> with the film and it's it's amazing it's it's not more incoherent as you know when you because any film that kind of goes through that process can kind of uh, maybe not be quite so coherent when uh, it reaches the screen. But I think whatever they paired away made for a cleaner, smoother, more um, urgent storyline. Uh, and I'm glad that the stuff that we see in the credits was not actually uh, part of the film and part yeah. of the story.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But it just feels tacked on. Yeah. Which oh, is, for sure. Which is a problem. But it just makes uh, you
1: wonder, like, why they even bothered putting it. Because it just, I, I guess it points towards, Maybe a sequel where he teams up with uh, with some spider villains, perhaps down the road, and that could be interesting. I, I guess in the comics, uh, Morbius and Spider Man team up to fight Carnage. Who we'll talk about in a second. Mm. Um, in, a, in a series called Maximum Carnage or something to that effect. So, uh, you know, Morbius, even though he, he dates back to the seventies, they, they keep bringing him back, and and uh, and you know, he's an interesting character. It's, it's fun to. to combine that kind of uh, superhero and then classic monster movie mythos and uh for the most part, it works.
0: Yeah, I, I would. I'd go along with that. I was surprised. Um, now let's talk a little bit about Spider-Man: No Way Home. It came out, uh, you know, a few months back, and it was an enormous hit. And uh, it is the, the the franchise that kind of bridges the Sony licensed characters of Marvel and the MCU. Of course, Tom Holland has been part of the uh, the MCU now since uh, Captain America: Civil War, where he was brought in, uh, kind of as a uh, with Tony Stark being his mentor, and uh, and that was really worked well I thought Holland is great he brings all that sort of teen enthusiasm to the uh, to the part and uh, the first two um, Spider-Man movies Homecoming and Far From Home both pretty great I, I really enjoyed them as sort of teen superhero movies the first one especially the second one with Jake Gyllenhaal as the villain Mysterio was maybe it was smart I thought and well done but maybe not quite as engaging
1: but uh, yeah Gyllenhaal was totally on board for it It's what I love about that film is how game he is to play that version of Mysterio. Mysterio, uh, and uh, and really, really sell it, you know, as, as an actor who can do Michael Bay's ambulance and then do, you know, something uh, more serious and brooding and intense. It, it, uh, I love how we just always seems to know what kind of movies yeah
0: yeah i a hundred percent and and it's funny because he was the one who, who kind of mooted the whole idea of a multiverse that's where his he said his character right, was right that's from. right but uh but it turned out to be a bit of uh you know shadows and fog <laughs> so to speak around his character but uh now well, that's what's that's what these movies are dealing with and uh spider-man no way home i i think it's fair to talk about this without worrying about spoilers because they're using it in the advertising for the, uh, the streaming
1: version of this film. It's on, as soon as you look at the IMDb page, it's there too. It's there
0: too. It's the fact that they brought back, uh, actors who played Spider-Man in the past, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, to uh, to represent earlier different versions or alternate dimensional versions of Spider-Man. And they did it so well. I was a huge fan of this movie. I thought I thought just in terms, I know people got up in arms about the fan service or so they felt like somehow this was too, just too calculated. For me, I felt like what they did really well was just bring an element of the comics, which has been doing this kind of thing all the time, oh, yeah. you know, to the big screen in a way that... That didn't feel chintzy, didn't feel, I felt completely engaged by the way that they told the stories of these multiple spider man and how emotional it was. By the end, I was totally game for it, and I, and I, it also brought home the fact that what Peter Parker really is all about is a self-sacrifice. You know, his feeling of responsibility is so outsized to the fact that he has these powers uh, that that he will make decisions that end up being, for himself, bad decisions it might be good for everyone else but he will suffer for them and that is what this film is really about and i think it drives this home in a way that maybe the spider-man movies haven't quite yet done in the past and i just thought it was uh
1: i thought it was great i really loved it and i'm i'm glad to uh see that it did so well yeah there i mean there are moments in it that are incredibly moving uh things i didn't expect i mean i i kind of knew that you know we were going to see other spider mens Spider-Man's Spider-Man's um, <laughs> Spider-Man Spider-Man uh, <laughs> over the course of the film so when it, I mean I went uh, shortly after it opened I think maybe not the same weekend but within a few days of it opening so uh, it was nice to just you know see those confirmations you know come true kind of thing and then uh, also you know it just reminded me of you know, comics I read as a kid, where you'd get the Earth One Superman who could only leap over tall buildings, teaming up with the Earth Two Superman who can actually, you know, fly into space and so on. And and it, this is this is just sort of more of, of that kind of idea, and, and it's the sort of thing that comic book fans have been, tr- you know, treated to, I guess. Uh, so so it is. Fan service, sure, but I mean, <laughs> I think, isn't the whole MCU about fan service? I mean, I, I, I don't know why you would do the opposite of, of that, uh, given that the, you know, these are the people that are buying the tickets, and and it's not something I would want to see a ton of, but, it, you know, certainly Spider-Man, is a, if, if the actors are on board and you can do it, uh, certainly there's no reason why you shouldn't.
0: Yeah, and I thought it gave Andrew Garfield, who's having a great year, uh, yeah. past year, he's doing so well these days, with great projects, um, it gave his character, his particular Spider-Man, a conclusion, a resolution that his movies never got, because no. he only got two. And um, they were very good. Yeah, well, there's, there's that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, I, I, really, I really did enjoy Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home. Interesting to see what they do with the character going forward. Um, do we want to talk about Venom and Venom Let There Be Carnage? You watch... Watched the movies more yeah. recently than I did. I, of course, have. I remember them. I, obviously, I, I, I like Tom Hardy. I'll see him in anything. So I was happy to watch these movies. Though neither of them,
1: I think the second one is slightly better, just for being funnier. But I don't think either of them are very good. Well, the first one isn't very good. Uh, but I mean, I like Tom Hardy. I, I think if it had been a different actor. Uh, then it would have been a complete washout at least Tom Hardy you know he he's such a good actor they can bring a kind of mix of toughness and vulnerability to his character and uh, and then his sort of inner war this inner monologue he has with the symbiote that's living in his body I think uh, is entertaining enough to kind of get you through all the Stuff that happens as, as as you know he tries to get control of his life. Unfortunately, people like Michelle Williams are kind of wasted uh, in in their uh, parts because it's really it's really just about the action in a way in that first one. And uh, at some point, I I think we talked about this yesterday that I get kind of digital battle fatigue, like just watching two CGI characters duke it out endlessly on scaffolding and rooftops and trashing. Apartments, it's like it just, after a while, my eyes just kind of glaze over because I'm not really watching anything real, and, and, and you can tell, and, and you can tell, and, yeah. and at some point, there's no. I feel like my brain tells me there's no stakes. I mean, there are obviously in the storyline, but you know, when it's just a digital creature slugging it out with digital creature, it, it's uh kind of like uh, you know, I kind of lose it a little bit uh, in terms of how much i actually am invested in this story uh and of course there's more of the same in venom let there be carnage but we have the added bonus of woody harrelson uh i think andy Serkis uh was directing which is kind of a new thing And of course the master of motion capture uh and uh, and, a, and a wonderful character actor uh act, stepping in as director and i think he brings something a little extra to that film so uh Unfortunately, all of Venom is kind of set up for Venom. Let there be carnage. So, it I, my recommendation will be to skip the first one and just jump into the second one. But I feel like, I mean, even Woody Harrelson appears just at the very tail end of uh, of the first Venom. So there's, the, you know, there's that setup there. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, I I think the second film is is. Quite a remarkable achievement in that it is funnier. It does have a more layered storyline, and the Carnage Venom battle is actually a little more interesting than than what we got at the for the climax of the first one. So, uh, they're they're basically dressed up grade B monster movies for sure. But there's a lot of talent that makes it uh, a cut above just what you'd expect.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I don't know that I'd recommend either of them to anybody. Um, I mean, I, I did appreciate in the second one that the sort of haunted, fidgety Eddie Brock and the insatiable Venom are kind of this weird, odd couple. And, uh, you you know, you, you can feel the picture straining to be in almost a, a buddy comedy with the scene of Venom singing, let's call the whole thing off while making <laughs> breakfast. I mean, how much more fun would it have been if they had actually gone in that direction and made it more and and more funny but we've got this pg-13 film with sort of an r-rated tone and that was a problem in the first film as well with uh, riz ahmed who is amazing in everything but it's just like he just seems kind of in autopilot there um you know and um there there are lots of uh, when i watch these movies i see the ways they could be better and uh and you know it's funny that i actually liked morbius more than either of the venom films cuz in some ways tonally they're very similar but for some reason morbius worked better for me um i think yeah it, it's um it's it's a weird thing and i i figure you know tom hardy is so versatile and so uh he's he's got so much charisma but um you know and i guess that might be a reason to watch the films but I just feel like it. It diminishes him. Uh, the, these character, he's he's so unlikable. Uh, you know, it's it's stuff that uh, like the Hulk has been dealing with those kinds of ideas, the the kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing. But the filmmakers aren't especially interested in exploring <laughs> those ethical issues because they just want to have a, a uh, bring mon- on monster bash a yeah. monster mash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lindsay Cameron Wilson, host of the food podcast. But you know what? It's not just about food, it's about people and their stories shared through the lens of food. The food podcast has been described as an audible fairy tale. How about that? You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So come join us. We would love to share our stories with you. Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears. Here are Karsten and Stephen. We're talking about uh, basically our marvelous roundup uh, of movies and maybe a little bit about the streaming shows as well uh, with occasional divergences into, (laughs) well, wherever we diverge. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Um, And in this segment, our final segment of the show uh, today on Lends Me Your Ears, we're talking about The Eternals. Let's start with that. Um, It was uh, directed by Chloe Zhao of Nomadland and the writer fame of course Chloe Zhao, Oscar winning a filmmaker who has a very sort of uh you know, re, uh, almost moves into documentary with her, the with sense of realism in her work. I mean, Nomad Land is gorgeous. It's a wonderful film. Uh, I would recommend that to anybody. It's incredible. Uh, so interesting pairing of filmmaker with material. Now, The Eternals, I will be upfront with this. Uh, I read comics since I was a kid, and I made mine Marvel for the most part, with the exception of some Batman comics. But I tended to steer clear of the cosmic... Tomes like the ones created by Eternals Grandmaster Jack Kirby. New Gods. Or New Gods in DC. Yeah. Um, and I guess I just because I, I struggled to relate to them, you know, they they seem like, you know, vast godlike abilities in a separate society of cosmic beings, some with powers suspiciously like Superman, Wonder Woman, and The Flash. I, I just felt like it was harder to relate compared to Marvel's more down-to-earth characters with more approachable problems. Um, you know, in cinematic terms, this material feels like it's something Zack Snyder would, would contemplate. And of course, I mean, I can't think of filmmakers more different than Clo. Khlo- Zhao and Zack Snyder <laughs> uh, but you know Marvel Studios decided to go ahead with this and um, and uh, yeah and I I found it uh, interesting in places but it's slow with too much in- exposition too many characters it does get better as it goes along but there is a vast mythology that is being introduced here. And despite some in the cast being appealing, I just don't think it really works. Um, taken as a whole, I think uh, even with some of the gorgeous cinematography and some interesting themes, um, Eternal stumbles. Uh, they're, they're a group of immortal, super-powered protectors of the planet who have been amongst us for thousands of years. They're sent to Earth by the Celestials, a race of gigantic aliens to eliminate predatory bad guys, the Deviants, who look a lot like the beasties from Edge of Tomorrow, basically fully CGI. Creatures. Now, the multi-ethnic Eternals, having completed their mission 500 years ago, now live normal lives, hiding their immortality until one of them is killed in the present day, suggesting the deviants have returned. We get more evidence of that during a set piece in Camden Town in London. It's a great, actually, a great scene hmm. where the deviant, one of the deviants, emerges out of the region's Canal. Um, now, there are so many characters here. I'm almost reluctant to mention them all, but they are played by. Really talented actors like Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, uh, Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie, uh, Kumal Nanjiani, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Barry Keoghan. I mean, you really couldn't go wrong with this cast, but I do feel like there's just too many of them who really care about them all. I think they could have lost, there are three of them I can think of that they could have lost cut out completely and it wouldn't have affected the final, uh, you know, the plot where it
1: goes. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for this and, and uh, Richard Madden who plays Icarus, looks so much like sebastian stan who plays bucky that i thought it was i thought oh bucky shows up I thought that was the connection to the marvel universe and then i realized it's a completely different actor and a completely different character and that in fact there really isn't aside from a mention of somebody asked them why they didn't fight thanos and that's like one of the few connections to the rest of what's happening in the mcu and and that's fine not everything needs to be interconnected and have all that uh connective tissue with what's happening in the other films and so on but um yeah, it, it's it's definitely a mixed bag. It, it, it takes about an hour for any real kind of story to develop. And then, uh, you know, it's about 160 minutes long, and it really feels it. And there's some visually stunning moments. Unfortunately, I did not see it in a theater, which I'm regretting. I probably would have slightly different feeling about it uh, and but you know the cast all does really strong work it's great to see Selma Hayek and and uh, it's great to have Angelina Jolie playing an interesting character who gets to do some interesting physical as well as emotional stuff and and uh, but it is yeah, you're right it is is a completely mixed bag uh for what it is.
0: Yeah. Now, my, one of my favorite parts is where Barry Keoghan's character is at the core of a debate on the right way to use power, whether it's ethical to save human beings from themselves. And that might be the most potent and interesting query in a superhero that I've, a movie that I've seen in a long time. But um, the problem is that the movie doesn't really care much about it. it kind of solves the issue in a single scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, effort, the Eternals makes an effort to bring new elements, diversity to the MCU with the first gay family man superhero, a deaf superhero, and it actually has a sex scene, which I guess has never happened before in a, in a Marvel Cinematic Universe. I can't argue with any of that Not stuff. in the
1: films, anyway. There's one in the opening of The Inhumans, but we, we right. don't have to go there. Right, but, fair uh, enough. But uh, you're definitely trying to do a lot of new stuff. And I feel like uh, watching, I think, well, this should have been a miniseries. Then mm-hmm. then it could have taken its time and developed these characters a little more. And uh, and 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 it probably would have worked maybe a little better on the small screen in, in installments. But Yeah, uh, 100%. Is, This is what we got.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about some of those small screen uh, shows because, uh, like I said earlier, those are really working for me. Um, You know, we mentioned WandaVision. I loved that one right out of the gate. It was followed by The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is probably the most hit and miss of all of them. I love those characters, but I wanted more from it than we got. Um, But in terms of, like, sociopolitical issues, there were some stuff in there that was pretty interesting. Then we got... um, Loki, which provides Tom Hiddleston's mischievous Asgardian, a very sort of Doctor Who esque exploration of identity via time travel. It had incredible production design, very 1970s vibe, really enjoyed that show. Uh, And then following that, we've gotten Hawkeye, which was. So much fun. Not one of my favorite characters of no, in The Avengers. No, not at all, but, but a fun show. A fun show, like a, a Christmas show, which was great. i introduced Kate Bishop as a new Hawkeye. She's amazing. And uh, and then Moon Knight, most, more recently, which is a wildly unpredictable tale of about a hero possessed by an Egyptian moon god while dealing with serious mental health challenges, starring Ethan Hawke who infamously badmouthed superhero movies until he was invited to uh, (laughs) shows until he was invited to be in one uh, and Oscar Isaac, who does great work. And brand new at, on Disney Plus right now is Ms. Marvel, a new series about Kamala Khan, the first Muslim superhero. She's played by Canadian actor Iman Valani, um, and she's a Pakistani-American teenager living in Jersey City who idolizes Captain Marvel. It's so much fun. It's about being a fan of superhero material while also becoming a superhero. That is a great twist, a great flex for Marvel, and I can't wait to see the rest of this show. So I guess I'm just my yeah, this is my point is that these are all working for me, whereas a lot of the movies like Eternals just aren't quite. And I'm and yeah, I'll come back to my previous theory, which is it because they're more like comics when they have time to breathe
1: through the course of a series. Yeah, I, we, we don't have much time left, and I just want to say that Ms. Marvel. I've, I've only seen the one episode that's available as of this recording. There'll be a new one on Wednesday, uh, and Aman Valani is terrific. She's fantastic, and so is the cast I've assembled. Her, her family, you know, the the attention spent on her family life is wonderful, and uh, the 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 fact that it addresses the notion of fandom and keeping it positive is is a real breath of fresh air. So there's 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 so much going on in the series, just the first episode, and it all it all works. Plus, it's, it uses animation. They, they really take some stylistic chances with this that all pay off. In a, in a vibrant and, and fun way, and I can't wait to see the rest of it. And I love the the, the big set piece at the uh, at the convention that happens uh, towards the end of the show. And I don't even want to say more about it than that, but it's it definitely it definitely builds up to to a great finale in just the first episode. So uh, you know, it, I can't imagine being on the fence about watching this. But if you are, it's it definitely pays off in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, what did you make of the other shows,
1: though? I mean, do you had do you have a favorite of the other ones I mentioned? Uh, well, Loki is probably the one I'll return turn to and rewatch at some point uh, just because of, Hiddleston is so great as that character and, and it was fun to see uh, Owen Wilson you know kind of tagging along and, and doing his old doing his old Owen Wilson thing in, but in this cosmic scheme of things uh, so th- that's probably my favorite of the bunch Moon Knight I might have to re because a lot of it is fairly dense and I'm not even after having watched it I'm not 100% sure what Ethan Hawke's uh, character's scheme was <laughs> I, know, I know he's enough. bringing yeah. a god back from the dead and I guess there was going to be some sort of apocalypse or something but <laughs> to be, the whole time I'm watching, he's like, I know he's got to be stopped, but I can't remember why. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I, think I, I think I need to go back and maybe give that a rewatch as well. But, but, but uh, I don't know, Loki pushed a lot of the buttons in terms of comic book nerddom and just being funny um, and uh, kind of deflating some of the concepts about the comic as well. I, th- I thought it did a really good job on doing all of that.
0: And that concludes this episode of Lends Me Your Ears, uh, our marvelous Marvel Roundup. Thank you so much for listening to us and uh, for finding us on your favorite podcast platforms or listening to us on CKDU, which airs the show every second Tuesday at 5.30. My name is Karsten Knox, and I am reachable on, uh, well, via Facebook or via, well, our, our Lends Me Your Ears is on Facebook. My blog is called Flaw in the Iris. It's at Halifax Blog. And that's my tag on Twitter as
1: well. And you can find me on Twitter at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. And of course, the show has a Twitter account as well. Yeah. And, and thanks again to our
0: producers at the Village Soundcast Network for all you do. And for CKDU, I think I mentioned them for the studio facilities. Thank you again for listening. We'll be talking about movies again very, very soon. Excelsior! Excelsior!